Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here with your host, Auntie Vice, and I am so excited to have Dan and Don, Erotic Awakening, here on the show today. I've been on their show, and if you follow me, you've been able to see our great talk about uh, forced blowjobs, which was totally fun. These guys are the experts on, on polyamory and power exchange and all that dynamics. If you've ever taken one of my classes, you know they're on my resource list, and it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's fantastic to be here. So let's get out the gate with a bang. You have a new book out. What what's this one about? And and tell us about it. So the new book is um Hearts and Collars. So we haven't put out a power exchange book for 10 years at this point. So this one is Hearts and Collars, 20 years in a power exchange relationship. So we talk about all the stuff and, and all the things that we have experience with and yeah, so we only we only teach and write from experience. So there's a lot of stories in there of things that we've been through. Negotiating power exchange when you're in uh, any type of not you know non-monogamous relationship, whether it be polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, relationship anarchy, can be very difficult. One of the co- things that comes up probably most often to me when I'm talking to folks is when you are in a power exchange dynamic in your primary relationship, but you have uh, you know, in your polycule or however you have it set up, not everybody is in. How do you manage those dynamics? Because not everybody is going to be into the power exchange, but they may really want to date you. Uh, so I was in a relationship with a woman named Karen for 12 years, and she is not a power exchange. She was a peer relationship. And at the same time, I was in a relationship with Dawn, which is very much a power exchange relationship. And there was a point for about five years where we all lived under the same roof. We all shared a house together. And the, the first thing that we do with our non-power exchange partners is explain power exchange. Um, and that's just having that conversation where we sit down and say, this is what power exchange is. It's a kind of relationship. I'm in with this other person. And there are some certain aspects of that that may appear to go against the standard polyamory perspective. For example, in my, in my power exchange relationships, if I'm the leader in that power exchange relationship, I do have what normal or non-hierarchical power, polyamory people would call veto power. It's not quite veto power, but it, it, it translates into the same thing, where as the leader in a power exchange relationship, whether you want to call it a dom or an owner or a daddy or all the other terms, as a leader in that power exchange relationship, I am responsible for the safety of my follower, whether it's a submissive or a, all the different words, right? So I do have the ability and the right to say, I don't want you dating Joey Joey because it's he's not 
pay for. He's not, uh, he doesn't take you to, to safe places. He doesn't put you in a proper headspace for safety's sake, right? Um, so the first thing we did was exp- you will have that conversation. The trickier conversation is somebody who is a collared submissive of mine started to date a vanilla person. And she had to have this conversation where she said, okay, I, I love the idea that we're going to date, but there's this other person I've got a relationship with, and he has influence over our relationship because he has direct influence over me. You know, And that, it's a challenging concept for a lot of polyamory people that don't get into power exchange, don't dig power exchange. So that's why you know, we make sure to have those conversations up front. That, you know, we try and get that level of understanding and to get that level of, you know, the non-power exchange, whether it's a, a meta or a partner, is allowed to ask me about power exchange. And, and not so I don't like the word challenge, but to put energy into getting a clean understanding of what it means. Mm-hmm. It's uh, anytime I start to date someone new that's not in the kink community. I have to explain the power exchange and I have to explain that Dan is my leader and he is top priority, right? So lucky for me, the person I've been dating for the last nine years, even though I found him in the polyamory community, he had knowledge of the kink community. So he totally understood that and totally went along with it. I can remember um, he was on our staff for uh, Beyond the Love, which was an event we ran for six years. And there was no chairs around the table he was sitting at. And I kind of knelt on the floor. And he's like, oh, hell no. That's for Dan. Let's find you a chair, right? I mean, I wasn't even kneeling to kneel. I was kneeling because that's the only room that there was. So there's certain things that he would not feel uncomfortable. He would not feel comfortable with because he knows I reserve that for Dan. So I don't serve him. I don't do anything like that. He knows Dan has veto power. He knows Dan is my top priority, just as his vanilla wife is his top priority. So we actually use labels. Big D is my secondary. I am his secondary. And it's not a big deal. You know, in in the polyamory world, labels seem to be a big deal if they show hierarchy. And it has nothing to do with um, who do I love more or whatever. It's just the time that's invested (laughs) for, you know, for us with the way I use the label. Well, and it brings up something that that's always bothered me is the polyamory community at large, especially those who are not in power exchanging kink, tend to really abhor the idea of veto power where you can be with your partner, they decide to date somebody else, and you're like, no, 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 this isn't going to work. But for me, even coming from the submissive side, if I see somebody treating my partner badly, if I see them where he's coming home stressed or angry or they're just bringing out not the best in him, I feel a responsibility to speak up. And I see it as part of a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason to let your partner date somebody you just can't stand and they're bringing you and you're saying that you're great? Well, I don't really think this is safe or I think they're putting you in a bad position. I mean, isn't that just healthy dynamics? So while being the submissive in our relationship, I do not have veto power when it comes to Dan and his relationships, but I do have voice. So I'm not allowed to say, no, you can't do that. But I can say, 
have you paid attention to, you know, what kind of mood you're in when you come home, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. So I am allowed to do that, but he still gets to make the choice. Whereas, and then once he makes that choice, after I've vocalized something that I've seen as negative, then I just kind of sit back. Right. So if he asks for advice, I'll give it, but, um, you know, I, I don't have the right to tell him not to do that, but he does have that right with me. The trick is, though, is that in 20 years, you've never used it. You've given me a preemptive, you won't play with that person if they ask, Mm -hmm. but he's never really vetoed. And um, I think because he likes me to learn life lessons. So the boyfriend I had before this one, there needed to be a breakup. So he let me follow through with that because I'd never broken up with anyone before except someone I was angry at. Oh, wait, I was angry at him, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so life, life lessons. I, I think the, the big challenge, uh, you know, and I, I go to this, this one of my non-hierarchical or no, one of my non-hierarchical relationships with Karen that I mentioned, right, is over that 12 years for Karen to realize and to be strong with not being in power exchange and being okay with it, right? Because one of the challenges polyamory people have in this situation is in power exchange, you get a lot of outward symbols that you are in a relationship, right? Dawn wears my collar, right? Dawn uh, serves me at events. You're very much recognized as a, as a dual entity, right? Where with Karen, you know, after a couple of years uh, together, we had a commitment ceremony and we had rings that we wore, but it's not got the same, you know, when you go on Fet Life, if you do Fet Life, and to say uh, owned by Dan, and then you have another line that says dating Dan, right? It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like you have that same level of investment, even though emotionally you do and logistically you do. But you know, that's one of the things that you, that non-power exchange person has to be able to navigate. That there are going to be some differences, of course. We need that power ex- non-power exchange partner to be strong in their non-power exchange. And I, Karen was great for this. She very easily stood up for herself. When I started to flex and say, you know, no, we're doing it my way, she would say, you know, she would do the whole snake neck thing and say, no, we're not, buddy. You know, let's have a talk. And, and, and you know, um, I used to... On occasion, I would reach over. We had I had the rule with Dawn where she had to remind me to put on my seatbelt. And if she didn't, I'd reach over and give her thigh a little pinch and say, hey, don't forget. And I as a you know, I can't do that with Karen. And I accidentally will do it with a Karen on occasion and she'll punch me. And that's appropriate for that relationship. I as you know, a, a leader in a power exchange relationship, but a lover in a non-power exchange relationship, I have to be able to switch gears. I have to be able to accept, oh yeah, I've chosen this style of relationship with this person. Let's roll with that. But what some people don't talk about all the time is, is I see that relationship with him and a vanilla person and all I see is power struggle. And I'm like, oh, that is even hard for me to be around, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be part of it. And it's hard for me to be around it. We go to a coffee shop and Dan says, Dawn, sit here. Yes, sir. Karen, sit here. Who do you think you are? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I just, I don't get it. (laughs) So for both of you, which came first, power exchange or polyamory? 
power exchange, I believe. So Mm -hmm. when we got together, we had both just broken up with long-term vanilla partners and we had decided that we were going to create something totally different. And the kink, I think the kink was first and then DS light while we tried to see if that was actually going to fit and then moved into, you know, total power exchange and then started doing the poly. And at that time, when we started our power exchange relationship, we knew that we were going to practice some alternative loving, whether we didn't just didn't know what that looked like, whether it would be swinging or some other form of non-monogamy. I don't really think we had the language of polyamory. Polyamory wasn't a, a, yeah, a long word. So for us, it was power exchange first. Well, and you came into the community, you know, probably around the same time I did, because you've been in this for, for quite some time now. And it really has changed. So with 20 plus years, what have you noticed as the big change, especially in the, you know, between each community? Because poly, polyamory has changed and kink has changed. So what have you guys been able to see since you're out there working in it all the time? You know, polyamory, when it first, when we first got into it, and I'll speak of that first, we found things like Church of All Worlds, which was a pagan group that practiced polyamory. And now I can picture the guy that ran it and started it, and his name's going to pop into my few minutes. I can't think of it. I'm on his Facebook, but his wife, Morning, oh, Oberon Zell. Because his wife, uh, Morning Glory Zell, is one of the people attributed with coming up with the word polyamory. And I'm in one of their pagan magazines. Anyway, so that's what we found, was we found like uh, people that were just into loving, and, and they didn't care how you labeled it, and they didn't care... You know, if you had a third, which is like a mortal sin right now, and, you know, things like that. So, we had words like co-amory, which I can't, I Google now and I can't even find it. And I know it was a word back then. So, so things like that. And, and now, I don't mean to be negative because there's a lot of positive about polyamory, but it seems to be very judgmental. It seems to be one true way. And if you don't do the one true way, then you're unethical. And I Mm -hmm. just don't believe that. That is not how this started or it didn't start 20 years ago, but you know, that's when we started. Yeah. I think this is just general. What I say, you know, the world has moved on. Polyamory in general has gotten younger and the world of the younger world of today, maybe the older world, maybe the whole world of today includes a lot of issues regardless of, you know, let's bring the issues to the forefront of, you know, well, I just love two women at once. I don't really care about the issue. No, no, we have to involve the issues. So that's de- definitely been one of the, the differences. And I think that leads to what Dawn was saying, right? If you are in an, an existing relationship and you say, you know what, I, me and my wife are really happy, but we are thinking, man, we, we got some love to share. We'd like to share it with another person. You're likely to get a very negative response to that versus an educational response, right? You'll get lambasted instead of, hey, I understand why you think that way, but did you think about this? And this, none of these statements are 100% true across the board, right? But that's one of the things that we've noticed the other aspect, though, is polyamory is a word now. Polyamory, I, uh, one of the women I date has a daughter who is in high school, and polyamory is something they talk about in high school. They know what it is. There's, it's, it's not well represented on television, but it's on television. The books are out there. The 
the podcaster out, you know. So one of the big differences, it's almost, it's not that it's socially acceptable, but it's a hell of a lot closer to socially acceptable where you might, well, like I said, you'll see it on television, you'll see it referenced, you'll see it mentioned in high school. Yeah. So for me, that's one of the big differences. It's You don't have to work at finding out about polyamory. You pull out your phone and you Google the lot, you know, you Google all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So that's polyamory. And then changes in power exchange. I know at least in our area, which was um, Columbus, Ohio, when we got into power exchange, everything seemed to be monogamous right? You didn't share your property. You may play kinkly with somebody, but you didn't share your property, whether it was, you know, at least in our area, boy, that, that got blown up. You know, everybody's poly and, and, and we play with other people and we have other relationships. So much so that um, someone in Cleveland created a monogamous pride flag. So, you know, so that's kind of changed the whole um, monogamous and, and poly within kink and power exchange. And some of the language is changing with power exchange. Okay. So Dan and I have actually been changing our language. So some of the language in power exchange is power exchange, master and slave, things like that. Some people are stepping away from all of those words. There's actually uh, university papers being written on power exchange and to make it palatable for the general audience, they're using authority transfer and they're using leader follower, right? So language is starting to change around that and studies. I mean, who would have thought what's the name of the group that does that? It's BDSM. The science. Uh, uh, yeah. Science BDSM out science of the of university BDSM of group. Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Well, amazing. I went to grad school a few years too early to catch that trend, but man, if I went back, if I had a desire to do another <laughs> PhD, I would totally do it in this. It's much more interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it has changed a lot, and I, I agree with your your breakdown of both of those communities and how it's changed, especially with the polyamory of there's a right way to do it now, and people seem to have, and there tends to be one or two books at any given time that tend to dominate the polyamory education groups, right? That everybody's reading mm-hmm. and everybody knows, which is different than in Power Exchange and BDSM because there's a many more books referenced. So since you write, especially around Power Exchange and polyamory, how do we change that? Because I'm a big believer that you need lots of different people talking about lots of different relationship styles to figure out what resonates with you. Well... With the polyamory side of it, there really are a couple of books. And if you mention anything like Ethical Slut, which was one of the beginning ones, mm-hmm. now we're being told, oh, that's too old, right? So that was then, this is now. So there's a couple of newer books. One which I totally agree with that uh, that I think is a great read, and that is um, Polysecure by... Uh-huh. Jessica Fern, yes, who we've had at our um, event before. So amazing stuff there. And then there's a couple of other books that are mentioned all the time that I'm kind of like, I don't agree with those, but I'm not going to speak up about it. Hey, instead, have you heard of Polyamory Toolkit? Because I'm biased on that one. I think Dan and I did a great job with putting out some tools that work for us. And and that was a great plug, Don. Thank you. (laughs) See? Um, But... (laughs) 
you know, we're really not the right people to ask this question because we purposefully, like Sex at Dawn was the book for a while, yeah. right? And it had a very specific point of view, which drove people to say, you're right or you're wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. So we don't write that book. We write, here's the polyamory toolkit. It's 25 tools to make your polyamory relationship possibly better. I, we take no political stand. We take no right or wrong way. We share about if you're into polyamory and BDSM, here's things to look at. If you're into polyamory and power exchange, here's things to look at. But it's from our experience. It's not theory. It's not, well, you should be looking at this and should be looking at that. It's like, no, man, we tripped up, fell into a hole, had a hurdle, had to figure out how to fe- fix said hurdle without hurting people more than people were already getting hurt. Here's what worked for us, right? So, you know, things like that. So I don't, mm, anyway, so power exchange books. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when I'm actually, I mentor somebody right now. And he, he loves reading. He says, oh, what book should I read? What book should I read? And it's like, well, they're all f- worth reading. But what's going to resonate with you? Uh, Dr. Bob's books, Bob Rubel, resonated with me at one time. And I was like, oh, man, this is a great one for you. And I went back and read it again. And I said, oh, eh, it's good. But And then surprisingly, there's books like that people never expect to be power exchange um, that they find of value like uh joseph bean's flogging has a nice little power exchange view towards it mm-hmm. um i've got guy oh guy baldwin book right here in the arm of this chair that's in our rv so slave craft and oh, it, okay. it's older mm-hmm. and i still recommend that one so there's just some really well written books out there but again you know we we take the stance and and this is an opportunity to, for a plug, but we're talking about it for our new book, Hearts and Collars. It's 350 pages of, as Don mentioned, over 20 years, here's our experience with power exchange. So if you want tools around communication, around uh, grief, if that happens in your power exchange relationship, longevity, how to be a good follower, how to be a good leader, power exchange, polyamory a, again, of course. Being a survivor and how to thrive in a power exchange relationship. So this is just stuff that we're not trying to say this is the Bible of power exchange. It's not. This is our experience over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And take what you need and leave the rest. And if you want to read our book and read all those other books too, wonderful. You know, it all, you know, who cares? Right? We're not trying to to make a stand that we're Heck, even even have, you know, I'm sure some people aren't even going to like our book. They'll read it and say, "Oh, this doesn't." Where's this? Um, where's your PhD and where's your your thesis and where's your psychological? Uh, well, you have a psychology degree. I do. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> Instead, we write from from the gut, from the experience, and if that resonates with people, great. One of the reasons I like your approach, especially to this stuff, because I am an academic, I come from that world, and. I used to work for an agency. We'd be assigned different topics to do it. And most people would just read the books and then put out their report or whatever. And I'm a big believer you actually have to go and talk to people with that lived experience. So mine was criminal justice. So I did overnights in jails and prisons. And I went up and I toured pools because I I didn't want to be talking about these in the abstract because it gives Mm -hmm. you a different sense. And if you've lived it, you can understand where the theory can make sense to a point and then stops, right? And didn't work for you at that point. And it's one of the reasons I like your approach because you're right. Some of these are very heady books and like on FET, FET Life or whatever, and then gone to their house. And it's totally different. 
right? So their writings is very Gorian and flowery and I kneel for him and I kiss his cup and I do all these things. And I'm like, damn, I don't know if I can do that. I hope you're not expecting, you know, to me always to be in present, you know, presentation mode. My knees aren't going to handle it. But then you go to their house and that's not the way it is. You need to see how people actually live power exchange to understand it. So what are some of the key things you've learned over 20 years of practicing this? for lived experience? Wow. One of the things that works for both power exchange and polyamory is this idea that you can start off the relationship uh, with a fake it till you make it attitude, right? Like I'll tell Dawn, I'm going to go do an overnight with Susie. And for her to, even if she doesn't feel compersion, to do a little practice of fake it till you make it. At first, that develops, eventually you develop trust, right? Dan's done this nine times before and it's always, he's always come home. So I'll trust him. You know, it's still a decision, but you can talk yourself into and you realize, all right, I really trust this is going to work out. And that given time will generate into faith where Mm -hmm. the, the mental battle doesn't happen anymore. You might think, oh, going off on an overnight again, huh? Okay, cool, right? But you've developed faith in each other, Um, faith in the relationship, which is a separate thing, right? That's, for me, been one of the big takeaways is that when the uh, poop hits the fan, we can fall back on power exchange and it will keep us afloat, whether it is uh, losing a job or having to put a pet down or becoming full-time RVers, becoming full-time <laughs> RVers, right? Whenever things get rocky, we, we know that we can land on the power exchange aspect. So learning that that foundation really can support us. Um, I think that's one of the key things that I've picked up in these 20 years. Yeah. So, no, I absolutely agree with that. And then probably the other thing that I've learned is that a lot of people say uh, for these relationships, especially communicate, 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 right? But they don't say how. Well, not only do they not say how, they don't warn you that people communicate differently. So that's one of my big lessons, right? Is that Dan and I are both introverts. Karen was an extrovert. Big D's an extrovert, right? Mm -hmm. So we communicate very differently. I'm an external processor. Dan's an internal processor. I'm finding out at 55 that I've always... I've always guessed that I might have ADHD, but now that I'm really looking into it, I probably do. So, you know, I also have PTSD. I, you know, these things, all of these things come into play when it comes to communication. So know your partners, know how they communicate. That was big. And and the other one I'll mention in the, the, what have you learned in 20 years? And and actually we've learned a hell of a lot of stuff in 20 years, Mm -hmm. but the other one, which becomes, which, you know, I maybe you have to take a look at yourself is there is a disadvantage of having 20 years in, right? To look at the way polyamory looks now and don't get stuck in, well, back in my day, that's not how we did things. <laughs> or to look at, and here, a great example is when I first got into power exchange community, I was 35 and I had some people who told me, well, 35 is a little bit young to be in a power exchange, to lead a power exchange relationship, right? Whether that was true or not back then, 
I can't get, you can't get stuck in that now because the information that people can get and the speed that they can get it and the events and the people and the connections, it's quite legitimate to lead a power exchange relationship at 35 and, and younger. I don't know how young, but at the point that you've got your shit together, you've moved out of mom's house and you can take care of yourself. That age thing changed, you know, on me. So to, to cultivate this idea for both communities for, you know, when you're a 20 year veteran to cultivate Mm -hmm. beginner's eyes, you know, to look at everything fresh and say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what the best way to approach polyamory is. Maybe, maybe making the issues the forefront does make a lot of sense. Maybe the language, uh, the reason that people are starting to to have some challenges with the time-honored leather tradition of the terminology master-slave actually does have some merits and does need to be looked at, right? So we continue to, to recognize that regardless of the, the fact we just put out this big fat book of power exchange doesn't mean we've learned everything and that our teachers might be the, the TNG, the young TNG crowd, or it might be that 70-year-old uh, leather man that's been around <laughs> since the beginning, right? But don't, don't poo-poo either one. Make yourself open to regardless where that teaching comes from. That's kind of cool. You were told at 35 that you were too young to be a master because the internet had just come out. Mm-hmm. The internet had just become available, right? So the people telling mm-hmm. you this all had to learn in person. They found each other through ads and magazines, right? So it's a much slower process. Whereas now, don't type in Dungeons and Dragons and hit enter too fast because boom, there's everything right in your face. Dungeons. And drag queens. And drag queens. And- Dungeons and dragons. <laughs> now that's yeah. the game I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned age and I think that does have an influence on the way you approach relationships because you talk about learning about how you process information and you process events and learning if you're introvert or extrovert. And most of us don't start to really get a hold of that until sometime in our thirties is Mm -hmm. polyamory really better when you're older. It can be challenging because at least, and like I said, I'm in, I'm mid fifties. So I have a lot of monogamous, stuff that I have to break down, right? So because polyamory wasn't really available, I don't even know how to word this, but, you know, there's a lot of monotony when we were growing up, a lot of, you know, love triangles where someone has to choose one over the other, or there's not enough friction to have a good movie, or, you know, I'm like, Hunger Games, you don't have to choose. You can have both. (laughs) doesn't make a good movie. So we have all of these monogamous thinking things that we have to break down even now. I mean, I can remember Dan and I, Dan collared me before we got married. So the collaring was very important. And then we got married and I was going to have that title a wife. And I really resisted that because of the expectations with it. Right. So confusion to work through. Yeah. I think polyamory for the younger crowd, is is they're hugely benefited by not having by being able to you know at early 20s or even earlier understand the word polyamory and hear about it and may say wow so it's a choice right now 90% of my friends are doing boyfriend girlfriend and then they're doing married 
or girlfriend, girlfriend married, even that's a little bit more, more accessible than polyamory. But Mm -hmm. I, I, if I decide polyamory is a path I want to take, well, there's plenty of people that think that's okay too. There's books on it now. (laughs) There are. Well, and both of you brought up representation. Where have you seen a good representation of polyamory in the mass media, TV, films, all of that? Anything you'd recommend? Nope. No. I mean, that doesn't say they're not out there. It just says the little, we're not big mass media people to start with. So the couple things that we've looked at, sister wives, um, married and dating, you know, those sort of shows are uh, not good representations of real polyamory. Married and dating, uh, I mean, the people are really pretty to look at, but um, they, they, they feel like that TV show Friends, where it's like, you guys live in New York and you spend all day in a coffee shop. How do you get money? How do you survive, right? When I watch Married and Dating, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, where's the real life problems? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and we were actually, um, we've actually been contacted by a couple of different um, TV things that wanted to have us do like our power exchange life, mm-hmm. right? And one was the poly life. And when they found out how poor <laughs> they backed off. I mean, we said something about a high protocol dinner and they're like that. We want that. We want the high protocol dinner. We want the naked slaves. We want the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that happens like once every five years. I mean, that's not the real life. That's that's vacation. Yeah. So. But I do think that's part of the problem with the representation of this is people think, oh, it's just great sex all the time. And you kind of running around and doing all of that. And they don't understand how much Google calendaring goes on. And <laughs> Exactly. Like my, my line is, you know, polyamory is great if you want to schedule like a soccer mom, process like a therapist, and fuck like gay men. Like, that's kind <laughs> mm-hmm. of combo. Because it is. It's a lot of just, everybody has a job. Every, all of us have responsibilities and family and health and all these other things we have to deal mm-hmm. with that aren't sexy and exciting. Absolutely. Um, does having more than one partner help keep things a little more exciting and fresh when you come back together as a couple? We've said that before. Yeah, I can. I mean, and some of it's, I don't know if it's appropriate, but when Dawn comes back from a date and I'm all about, so did you, did you know anything new? And it's like, oh, he used his hand in this sort of way and did this thing. I'm like, all right, I'm stealing that shit. That's mine now. You know, so I, I will absolutely borrow things. And then, of course, you bordering on the challenge of comparing sex. And, and we talk a lot about how challenging that can mm-hmm. be for polyamory people, right? But I don't know that it spices up our life with the exception of it reminds us that just because mm-hmm. we've been together for 20 years doesn't mean we don't need date time. Just because we spend a lot of the time, you know, talking finances and logistics and grocery shopping doesn't mean... We don't want to set time aside for either sexy times or mm-hmm. just bend me over in the kitchen sexy times. My favorite. Yes. So, and and it's it's actually funny because if I go out with a new person, Dan does like to hear about it and he likes mm-hmm. details. Once I start developing a relationship, that's off limits mm-hmm. because it has something to do with the other person's privacy as well. Mm-hmm. 
right? So that then it becomes, unless we've got the other person's permission, we don't really share details of what mm-hmm. goes on in the bedroom. Now, if it's a mm-hmm. one-nighter, Hell all yeah. bets are off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there's different boundaries for different parts of going out mm-hmm. and connecting. And, and that's, I think, in any type of relationship. Because even if you're monogamous, people still want to, you know, you need to figure out what do you consider flirting? Can you call somebody your work wife and that be okay? Because for some people it is, and for others, not so much. Mm-hmm. And it can change from person to person. So, you know, what is okay with what I do with one of my partners? Maybe Dan wants to hear about that, or one of the other partners wants to hear about that. But then new partner comes in and everybody's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, it, it, can, it can shift. It's not a blanket, blanket thing. Mm-hmm. So jealousy has become one of these things that's kind of poo-pooed. Like in the polyamory community, everybody talks about how important it is to have compersion and be excited for your partner in this new relationship. The reality is we're all human. Jealousy is going to come up for most of us at some point. What are some of the basics for navigating that? Can can I jump on my soapbox for a second, though? Because this, this is one of my big soapbox things when I'm on like Facebook groups, Facebook poly groups. One of the things I see a lot is someone will say, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. I don't know how to deal with this. My emotions are out of control. Logically, I know everything's okay, but emotionally, they're not. And people will come back and say, if you're jealous, you're not poly. Break up, get a grip on yourself, and go back to monogamy. And I have to jump in there and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like saying, don't be angry. Don't be sad. Don't be whatever. Jealousy is just an emotion. It's usually based on fear and, you know, things like that. Uh, sometimes low self-esteem or, or whatever. But um, it's valid. It's, it's what you do with it. And after 20 years, there are certain people that I have no jealousy over that Dan dates. And a new person may come in. And even with all these tools, I may experience that blip and have things to discuss. So it's a tool. Use it as a um, a barometer of how things are going on within you. You know, are you getting your needs met? What do you have a fear over? What's it reminding you of? You know, one of the the the, the tricks, I guess. I don't know. We we mentioned the, the toolkit, and the toolkit is really. Mm-hmm. 25 tools, half are about communication, half is about navigating jealousy. I mean, and maybe there's one or two about logistics, like Google Calendar and stuff, right? When it comes to that jealousy, you know, things like, one of the things that I can do if John, Dawn is feeling a lot of jealousy is to be her friend and to work from a, you know, come what we call work from a place of assistance, where I say to Don, oh, I see that you're, you're, it looks like you're feeling a lot of jealousy. How can I help you with that jealousy? How, what, what we mean is, how do I help you process that feeling of jealousy? Helping you with jealousy is not, I won't go out on a date. I'll break up with somebody. That's not how to help you with jealousy. That's how to help you avoid dealing with jealousy. So working from a place of assistance, for me, when I feel jealousy, I, I often will do a lot of what we call draft emails, right? Where I just let myself process exactly what I'm feeling as if I'm writing Dawn an email or or the person that I'm jealous over an email, right? And you really let it flow out there. People call that, um, there's a particular style of journaling that people often- Probably just like flow journaling, something like that. 
you know, that's one of the ways that I can, where I may start off with this as very angry. And that by the time I get to the end, I'll realize that I'm just afraid, you know, like, what if the, you like them better? What if, you know, I don't fulfill you anymore or you find blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And then the, the other one that comes to mind, and I mentioned this earlier is to avoid comparing sex as a, as a male bodied person. Uh, I have a lot of, I was taught by my image makers that if Dawn goes out with somebody else and they have either a bigger dick or are more skilled with their dick, then, you know, I will lose her. Right. That's what I was trained that's what my image makers told me to believe. Yeah. So I have to make sure that when Don's with me, that I focus on what it's like to have sex with me and me alone and not think about, oh, I wonder if the other guy did this weird hand thing, or I wonder if he's bigger, or I wonder if he lasts longer. None of that shit actually matters. What I've got to do is stay focused on what Don and I have in a sexual relationship. Once I start comparing my sex to other people, I start losing one of the most key essential parts of being a good lover, which is being in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Once you start mm -hmm. thinking about the future, or you start thinking about the past, you're not going to be a good lover in the moment. So that those are the ones that come to my mind. Do you know what's funny? I totally lost track of the question because you said when you were growing up or your image makers or yeah. whatever, size of penis, stuff like that. We just watched American Dad. This is the current. And mm -hmm. the dude oh, that right. she was getting ready to <laughs> cheat on him with had a bigger penis. And, and the, you know, the other character's like, oh, my God, did you see the size of that? Of course she's leaving you. Right? Yeah. So, That's still, true. still. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a huge deal, pardon the pun. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even when I've been dating and it's, you know, not no talk about polyamory or anything. There's plenty of guys who ask, well, what about this past? You know, how do I compare to your other? And it's like, if you have to ask, it's too much for you to know about. Like, right. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it could, and body image becomes really a big deal for a lot of us. Right. I worry, you know, when my partner will date somebody who I perceive as more beautiful or thinner, you know, it's hard not to go, oh, well, maybe I should change this or that. And, you know, that's a big thing. Change, right? Maybe I should change this or that. That was actually something I really had to work with on myself. When Dan started dating the vanilla, you know, Karen, who was vanilla, I'm like, oh, my God, maybe he likes vanilla now. I can't do vanilla. I I'm out. And then he started dating. Um, he started dating Bat, who was fantastic with organization and, you know, being submissive and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, now he's got someone that's even better than me at that. So, it, it, you know, I must be out or, yeah, all that comparing and thinking I have to change. But I did want to mention that my time in the dungeons and my time naked in the dungeons and knowing that people still want to play with me after seeing me naked in the dungeon has done wonders for my my body image self-esteem. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it is so funny when people say, oh, I'm worried that I'm um, too old, too young, too thin, too fat, too this, too anything. No, you go into that that, that space and you'll see everybody. And, and Ken and Barbie are there, but so are... The rest, like the rest of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one of my favorite episodes of Bob's Burgers is they discover there's a naked beach in town. And Linda, the mom, asked the daddy, he's like, well, let, let's go. And he's like, I don't want to go. And she's like, 
why not? You know, it's people who look like us. And he's like, that's what I'm afraid of is I'm going to see all these old fat bodies and realize I sit in. (laughs) Well, we're actually going to go to a uh, nudist um, RV RV resort in what, four days, five days. And I'm trying to look around online to see if it's, if it's, if it's uh, um, a lot of Ken and Barbies, which I'm definitely not. And um, friends of ours decided to go with us who are more like us. So it's like, it's only two more that are like, like me. I'm good. I'll be okay (laughs) with being naked. (laughs) It's very free. Like the more, Mm -hmm. and the older I get, the more I'm naked in public. Like, and this is, this is not a Ken and Barbie body at all. This I'm, I'm Mr. Potato Head is what I tell people. And I'm still (laughs) happy being naked in public. So. I'm Um, definitely more comfortable. (laughs) So where, where would I see you in public? Oh, we'll talk later. I do have a ton. Yes, I have a ton of photos on Fat Life of me nude. Um, okay, which is always fun. And 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 listeners are free to check me. I'm Auntie. I'm Auntie Vice everywhere. There's there's plenty of those. <laughs> so, as you move through this, uh, you guys do a lot of teaching. So, for folks who are looking at exploring polyamory and open relationships and power exchange and polyamory, what are the the best places to start hitting conferences and where do you find some of the best teaching that you've seen? So conferences are just starting to open back up, right? We're talking Mm -hmm. COVID-19. So some of them have policies in place of masks. Some don't have to, to look and see where your, your risk comfort is for one, but we did just teach at test fest which is one of the oldest cons, if not the oldest con, um, on the, the East Coast at least. Um, and we just did that in New Jersey. That was great. We just did the Gwen Bash in Austin, Texas last weekend, which was great. I know LLC is coming up, which yeah, is Leather it, Leadership. It's challenging to say what are the best ones yeah. because if you're if you're looking for specific polyamory there's a couple of polyamory conferences. Now, Don and I haven't been involved in the polyamory conferences in a while, long enough to say, I don't know which ones, which are the good ones anymore. Okay. Um, with the power exchange conferences, there's a couple of them out there, but Don and I, I don't know that we've been to a power exchange conference that wasn't. That we didn't run. See, ones that were in Columbus, Ohio. Sorry. So Beyond the Love was ours at Polyamory. Obviously, I think that was the best because we designed it. Power Exchange Summit, which was our Power Exchange one, obviously, I think is the best because we designed it. Now, there is another one coming and, and up. And we don't run those anymore. We don't, so don't run bother them to go anymore. Look at it. And then AIS ran Cope and Winter Wickedness in Columbus, which were hotel takeovers, sex positive, kink, amazing, and they won't be happening anymore. But um, there is another Power Exchange one. That is coming up Labor Day weekend in D.C., so the Master Slave Conference, and they spend a lot of time. They do have some kink subjects, but um, most of it is power exchange, so that's the good one. We've been there before. Yeah, hey, I'm going to say that the, your, your best conferences, find your local ones, mm-hmm. your local kink conferences, because what happens mm-hmm. is the kink conferences are 50% of the classes are about kink. And then you've got mm-hmm. 25 about power exchange and 25 about polyamory. And that is plenty to get you through a conference, even if you're not interested in kink at all. It's great to, those conferences are so, and you know, we've, we've been to hundreds of these things. Very few of them are poorly run. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that is true. That I wouldn't recommend it. You know, I would recommend Kinky College. I was going to say Chicago. Kinky College in Chicago is is a great one. It's every six months, super consistent. So if you needed a to target one, go there, say hi to us. Kinky We're, College. We go, yeah. there, we go there quite often. So and then right now there's a lot of Zoom ones. So you can find virtual ones right now. In um, October, October first, I'll be presenting for SOC. Oh, great. Now yes. I got to remember the name of it, but I know service, it's a service. Service orientated conference. Yes, yeah, service orientated conference. So I used to run some um, service intensive. Oh, good grief. I can't even remember my own thing. It was S. <laughs> Subs and service. Subs and service. Thank you. So I ran that for seven years. And someone that used to go to that, I stopped doing it when COVID happened. And they wanted to, to it to continue to happen and expand. So they got my permission. I said, run with it. And they have turned it into this huge thing that is amazing. So I'll be teaching for that. And um, yeah, there'll be other things going on. All kinds of other stuff out there. So before we begin to wrap it up, because we're coming close to time, I want to throw one out there that I hear a lot and, and get your response to it. So there's couples, they're having problems in their marriage. Things aren't clicking. Somebody's sexual needs aren't getting met. And they say, let's try polyamory. Is that a great entry? It's it's tricky because it feels like a trick question. But if we simplify it to say, if we take that same thing, let's spin it a little bit and say, Dawn and I have a great relationship, but I don't dig, I don't like fucking women anymore. I like having sex with men. Let's open up the polyamory so I can get my sexual needs met. Um, you, know, you might say, well, that's a, a troubled relationship and you're using polyamory to fix it. I think that's pretty legit. I think that's a completely reasonable way to can keep the foundation of your relationship and still get the other person's needs met. The flip, the other way you can perceive that question is, you know, Dan and Donna argue all the time and they say, you know what, if we just had somebody else to balance things out, we're going to stay together for the kids, but we need someone else to balance things out. That is not particularly a healthy way to approach polyamory. So the base statement, I need more, right? As a base statement, sometimes it is legit, right? Um, Dawn likes, and here's just something super simple, right? Dawn likes roller coasters. I don't. Dawn likes to go to roller coasters with a lover. I'm her lover, and I don't like going to roller coasters. Why not? Why make that a, a central issue in our relationship when the you know where one of us has to compromise and just not do it or do something they find distasteful? Where instead they could say, "Hey, here's an option. Why don't you go have a boyfriend that digs roller coasters, and I'll stay home?" Because right now my strategy is we make sure we take a small child, and I say, "Oh." I'll, I'll watch Junior while you guys do the roller coasters, right? I, I mean, I would love to do it, but somebody's got to watch Junior, right? <laughs> well, and I bring it up because when it gets asked to me, it's usually in context of one of the partners has become chronically ill and cannot meet the sexual needs of somebody else. And when you're ill, there's a lot of things to negotiate and there's lots of problems, right? And the generic response on a lot of poly shows is then, well, no, if there's any problems in the relationship, it's a bad time to open up. Right. But, you know, there are, there are times when, no, you can, and sometimes, especially if you're having a lot of trouble with somebody with a chronic illness or you're going through a really stressful time, sometimes it's just nice to have a 
you can send your partner off and you don't have to process with them and you can deal with your own crap, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So you talk about yeah, no, talk about gonna... you know, worrying worrying with uh you you know you're out uh, on your overnights. I used to do that. Now it's like, oh my god, I can give myself a facial, I can do a mani pedi. This is like girl girl spa night, and it's fantastic. Oh yeah. I absolutely have changed over time. So when I started going out with people, Dan's like, yes, I have alone time. When Dan was dating other people, I'm like, I'm only alone because he's out with someone else and whatever I do is going to make me cry. And now it's just not like that. It's like, oh, he's gone for the weekend. Do I get the truck? Because we only have one vehicle. So how are we doing the vehicles? Did you take your swimsuit? What are you guys doing? Okay, well, I'm going over here and I've got the dog, but it's okay. You know, so now it's more logistics so far. I mm-hmm. mean, a new person could still come in and I, and I, and I hiccup, but so far that's a, been a major shift for me. Yeah, it does change. That is, that is. And I, I, yes, that is an amazing thing to be grateful for because it's, I love feeling like that stupid giddiness for two or three hours afterwards. It makes life easier. It does. Mm-hmm. So if listeners want to find all your books, your classes, where you're presenting by the, uh, all the, I want to say worksheets, um, the toolkit, uh, where do they mm-hmm. go to find all your good stuff? Everything is over at eroticawakening.com. You'll find links to the books, links to our podcast, links to where we'll be presenting at, a bunch of free ebooks um, for our supporters. Um, all everything is everything's there. Wonderful. And we'll have all those links up for our supporters on and our listeners on our podcast to find your stuff, as well as the list of the conferences that you've mentioned that you'll be presenting at. We'll make sure those are up. And thank you so much for being on the show. Our pleasure. It was fabulous. And now, a moment of gratitude. I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have right now to be full-time RVers. So we lost a lot with COVID. We lost the dungeon space that we used to run. We lost a partner. We lost you know, a few things, but the things that we gained were Dan is able to work from home because we lost our space. We weren't hide anymore. So we sold our condo. We actually made money off of it, even though we only lived there for a year, we were able to sell all our stuff. I mean, the universe really worked in our favor to be able to experience this. So now we move like every two to three weeks and we're constantly experiencing new things. So very grateful for that. I should have said, I'm very grateful for Dan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dawn stole mine. I totally agree with that. But so I will go with the, the, my second thing that comes to mind is I am grateful that uh, yesterday and, and I apologize to your more, uh, listeners that don't want to hear this kind of thing but yesterday we had great morning sex oh yeah and, and the reason that you know and i don't mean that to be facetious either after 20 years together after we both had multiple other partners after we both had a variety of experiences sexually with each other and with other people we can still connect that way we can still just you know a, a midday quickie that we both enjoy the hell out of and, and end up grinning like dummies at each other for the next couple of hours right 
That, that was pretty cool. Hi, this is Auntie Vice from Fat Chicks on Top. October is just around the corner, and that's International Kink Month. In preparation for that, I'm offering some special discounts. If you go to my shop at auntievice.com backslash shop, you can pick up a second edition of Love Letters to a Unicorn for $5 off using the code PREPFORFULSOM. If you are interested in kink coaching, by me personally, you can try a free session. You can book a session for coaching and use the code MYFIRSTTIME, and that'll get you a free 50-minute consult. for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.